Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is uh, Tom Jensen, is the director of public policy polling. We're talking about their latest poll, which was conducted uh, before the vice presidential debate, but after uh, the events of last week, which were significant and, and numerous. Um, and uh, in this segment, we're going to turn to uh, the United States Senate race. And uh, generally speaking, I think uh, most most people assume that if the Democrats are going to get control of the Senate, they almost have to take North Carolina. And so thousands and well, actually millions and millions of dollars <laughs> are being spent by the, the candidates to, uh, for uh, representing uh, either the actual campaigns of Tom Dillis and Kyle Cunningham or the so-called dark money or third-party money who are supporting their those candidates in an indirect way. Well, the, the race took a big turn last week when uh, Tom Tillis uh, this discovered that he had tested positive for COVID-19. And of course, Cal Cunningham and his, uh, uh, his uh, I guess, sex, sex scandal. Uh, so let's just get into that. And, and uh, what, what do you think is happening there, uh, Tom? Well, we found that at least initially, the sex scandal did not have much of an impact on the Senate race. Those allegations came out uh, on a Friday night, and we did a poll Sunday and Monday after there had been some time for people to sort of become aware of all that. And we found that Cunningham was still leading by six points, 48 to 42. And we found that 58% of voters had heard about the scandal and that 58% of voters said it did not make any difference either way in their vote. Uh, we will have to see as there have been additional developments in the story over the course of the week, uh, if things change any more in subsequent polling. But one thing that we found that was really interesting in that poll that we did um, right after the, the, the first wave of the scandal had come out was we found that Cal Cunningham had had a big dip in his favorability rating. We had usually found uh, before this that he had about a plus 15 net positive favorability rating and in the first poll that we did after these allegations came out, he was at minus two. So he had about a 17 point dip in his net favorability rating. But Tillis's net favorability rating in comparison to Cunningham's minus two is minus 23. Only 31% of voters in North Carolina have a positive opinion of Tillis, 54% have a negative opinion of him. It's pretty hard to get reelected when you have those sorts of numbers. So I think it may just be a situation where even if people are repulsed by Cunningham's behavior, they still think that it's more important to get Tillis out of the Senate than it is to punish Cunningham for his behavior. I personally uh, have heard from one person who said that they would not vote for Cunningham anymore because of this, who previously had been planning to vote for Cunningham. So we'll see if there's oh, more shoots. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, both of us are saying go ahead, so I will. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think there's a significant difference between this and the John Edwards exposés, uh, and and that was that uh, when John Edwards was running, the daily newspapers covered it far more extensively than they have covered the Cal Cunningham situation, and also uh, one other thing, uh, the circulation of those newspapers is down significantly from that time during that time period. Uh, so now Tom Tellis is. Uh, campaign, or actually, I guess it's the third party uh, group, are running ads uh, which are 
bringing this uh, sex scandal to the attention of the public. Do you think that last week's poll was maybe a little early on that issue? Well, I think it's certainly possible that uh, it will get closer, but I just don't know. And it's also possible that it won't. And I think the precedent for that is the president of the United States. Nothing uh, involved in this Cunningham story is nearly as salacious as what came out on Trump. Uh, 50, uh, excuse me, 20. It's an interesting parallel. The Cunningham story came out Friday night, 25 days before the election. And four years ago, the Trump Access Hollywood story came out on Friday night, 25 days before the election. And Trump actually ended up doing better than he was doing before that came out. I don't know that Cunningham's going to do better than he was doing before that came out, but it certainly shows how sort of numb a lot of voters are to these kinds of personal scandals in a way where they would have been considerably more devastating in a different generation. And I think that one way that Democrats who are repulsed by Cunningham sort of rationalize to themselves voting for him anyway, is they say, well, Trump said stuff that I'm not going to repeat on the radio on tape, uh, and the Republicans voted for him anyway. So why should we not vote for Cunningham when the Republicans are voting for Trump and what Trump did was worse? So I actually think Trump is a problem for Tillis in terms of trying to exploit this issue because I think a lot of people's attitude is just, well, we put somebody in the White House who was on tape saying these very disgusting things and his party base voted for him anyway. So why should we change our minds? My guess is that it's gonna end up being a lot closer than it would have been if not for this scandal, but that if there's no more huge new revelations, I think Cunningham was up by enough before this came that he's going to weather it. The other thing that we haven't gotten into yet is so many votes have already been cast. It may be a situation where Cunningham does lose among people who vote between now and election day, but he has such a large vote lead in the bank already because of people who got their ballots in September and returned them, that that may be enough that he can withstand this because there's hundreds of thousands of people who have already voted. This may not uh, bode well for uh, early voting in the future because people uh, may say, you know, I think I'm going to wait at least a week before the election. If I'm going to vote absentee, I think I want to have all the facts. What about the military situation? If uh, the military takes action against Cal Cunningham, how would that affect uh, his uh, position? Well, I think that's the kind of thing that certainly could make the story worse for him, if nothing else, because it just keeps it in the news. Uh, so far, this story's reminded me a little bit of the WikiLeaks stuff with Hillary Clinton's hacked emails in 2016, in the sense that there's been a little bit of a drip, 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 drip aspect to it, where there's some new little revelation every day that keeps it in the news one way or the other. So I, you know, I, I, I have no idea what the military would do with this. I assume a lot of people have affairs in the military, and I don't know uh, <laughs> what the military publicly takes action uh, related to in most of those. So if they do something that's very high profile and dramatic, certainly uh, that could hurt Cunningham. Uh, but I do think that a lot of this race is just kind of baked in. The Supreme Court uh, matter uh, is one that uh, is kind of interesting because uh, a large number of people have indicated that they feel like that perhaps the choice of the next Supreme Court justice should fall to the next uh, to the elected president in November. 
Uh, and meanwhile, the Republican Party is pushing to go ahead and get confirmation of uh, the uh, nominee that uh, President Trump has put forward. Will that be a factor in the election or is that uh, just sort of it is what it is? Well, so this is kind of an interesting thing. I think that if the Senate race ends up being super close, obviously the explanation people are going to give is that it was because of the sex scandal. But I actually think it's more likely that it'll be because of the Supreme Court vote. Because something that's been interesting in our polling all year is that we have found that the undecideds in the Senate race are very strongly Republican-leaning. They're people who like Trump and don't like Tillis, conservative voters who like Trump and don't like Tillis. And I think the reason they don't like Tillis is because they think he's been insufficiently supportive of Trump. I think Tillis has been pretty darn supportive of Trump, but some Trump voters think he's been insufficiently supportive of Trump. The Supreme Court race is the, the excuse me, the Supreme Court vacancy is the perfect issue to make those uh, Trump supporters who don't like Tillis feel better about Tillis and come over to his column. So something we've always found is that even if Cunningham's been up by six or seven points on Tillis in a poll, the undecideds are like Trump plus 40. And we have found that if the undecideds voted for the same party for Senate that they're voting for president, that all of a sudden Cunningham's six or seven point lead would come down to two or three points. So I think between the Supreme Court seat and the sex scandal, uh, those are things that give Trump voters who don't like Tillis an excuse to vote for Tillis and get the Senate race to tighten up. So I actually do think that it is an important issue uh, in the Senate race that could flip things. I think it's uh, less important of an issue in the presidential race just because so many people's minds are totally made up. And the other thing is that uh, people do narrowly think that the new president should be able to make the appointment instead of Trump. But it's really something where everybody's opinion on that just tracks who they're voting for for president. If you're voting for Trump already, you think he should make the appointment. If you're voting for Biden already, you think he should make the appointment. But it's not causing people to move back and forth between those Biden and Trump camps. Well, that's interesting. And uh, of course, all the, the data that you have is always so interesting. And we've got uh, one final segment coming up. And we're going to take a look not only at uh, the uh, uh, sort of a review of the presidential race, but also the other races that will be on the ballot, including the governor's race, the governor of North Carolina, and uh, also uh, the congressional races. We have not, uh, in North Carolina, we haven't touched on those. Uh, so we will spend some time on that as well. Uh, our guest is uh, Tom Jensen. He's the director of public policy polling. And uh, as I said, uh, we've got one final segment and a lot of ground to cover. So uh, stay tuned for more right here on Carolina Newsmakers. We'll see you right after this break. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, he's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out and he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them but i think in reality he just wanted to get out of there um i was really starting to worry because i saw something was wrong levi and i talked about how it would change our lives but he was there beside me and my love for him was just immense when something feels different it could be alzheimer's now is the time to talk 
Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Our guest is Tom Jensen on Carolina Newsmakers, and uh, Tom has been with us a number of times. Uh, we have enjoyed having Tom, and of course, those of you who are listening to the half-hour version of this program, if you'd like to hear the in-depth comments that he made in two other segments, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those comments, uh, about 24 minutes of content. And uh, Jason Kong puts those online so that you don't have to listen to the entire program. You can just listen to those. Well, Tom, we've talked about a lot of things. One of the things we have not talked about in, in the, so far is the congressional races in North Carolina. We have had a reapportionment of the uh, congressional districts changing around. Uh, are, have you done any polling in these congressional districts? Are they going to fall pretty much along party lines as far as registration goes, or do we have any races that uh, appear to be closer than perhaps we might have thought? Well, when these new congressional maps came out, I would not have expected any congressional races to be competitive in North Carolina. And uh, we actually do end up having a couple competitive ones that were maybe a little bit unexpected. Uh, one is sort of in a district that runs from Charlotte to Fayetteville, North Carolina Congressional District 8. Uh, the Republican incumbent Richard Hudson is being challenged by uh, former state Supreme Court Justice Patricia Timmons Goodson, uh, and it's a one or two point race. Uh, Hudson, I think, has been ahead in all the polling, but it's, it's really quite close, uh, and it's a district that Trump won by about eight or nine points, uh, and Democrats are having some success in places like that because the country as a whole has, has moved about eight or nine points uh, to the left compared to that 2016 election. So I think that's probably the marquee congressional race in the state. And then the other one that really wasn't expected to be very competitive uh, is in the mountains, North Carolina Congressional District 11. That was Mark Meadows's seat before he went to become speaker, uh, excuse me, chief of staff and pretty safe Republican district. But the Republicans nominated a, a young man who I think is 25, Madison Cawthorn, who uh, turned out to have some uh, less appealing things in his past that sort of made him a weaker candidate. And Democrats have a strong candidate in uh, Colonel Mo Davis, who has a very strong uh, military background and a good story to tell along those lines. Uh, so even though that district voted for Trump by 17, which would make it the second most Trump supporting district in the country to have a Democratic member of Congress, uh, that race is polling pretty close as well. 
if I had to make a prediction, I, I would say that probably partisanship wins out in the end and Cawthorn gets in there, but that's proved to be a much more competitive race than expected. Uh, now, these are not competitive races in North Carolina's second and sixth congressional districts, but because of the new districting maps, we will have two new Democratic members of Congress because the new lines included two safe Democratic districts. That's going to be Deborah Ross in Congressional District 2 in the Triangle and Kathy Manning in Congressional District 6 in the Triad. So that'll get the congressional delegation from the 10 to 3 Republican advantage that it's been for the last decade to an 8 to 5 Republican advantage. And then Democrats do have a couple more chances to get a sixth or maybe even a seventh seat in the congressional delegation. I believe the last time Democrats had a majority of the congressional delegation was 12 years ago. Well, switch back to the national situation because we've talked about the possibility of the Democrats taking control of the Senate, which would give if Biden holds on to his lead and the House remains pretty much in the control of the Democrats, that would give the Democratic Party control of both houses and also the uh, presidential uh, offices and all that goes with that. What are you seeing as far as the, the prospects of the Democrats taking control of the uh, United States Senate? Well, as you alluded to earlier, North Carolina really is probably going to be the decisive seat. Right now, Republicans have a 53-47 majority, and they're likely to add a seat in Alabama uh, to their columns. So that would get them to 54. But I think Democrats are now at this point pretty well favored to win Senate seats in Colorado, Arizona, and Maine. So that would get Republicans to just 51. And then the 50th seat for Democrats would indeed be this North Carolina Senate seat. Uh, that's probably the most straightforward path to, for Democrats to control the Senate is to win North Carolina, win the presidency, and then Kamala Harris would break a bunch of 50-50 ties in the Senate. Now, what I'll say is Democrats have a lot of other opportunities where they're close in Senate races in places that might not have been expected. There's a very close Senate race in Iowa. There's a very close Senate race in Montana. There's two close Senate races in Georgia. There's a close Senate race in Alaska. There's a close Senate race in Kansas. There's a close Senate race in Texas. Every single one of those places that I just named is a Republican held Senate seat. I'm not sure I feel like Democrats are over 50% chances of winning any of those seats individually, but given that there are eight or nine opportunities like that, you would think Democrats might up winning it, end up winning at least one or two of them. So that's a path, and I, I, I miss South Carolina. Uh, so that's a path where Democrats could end up not just getting to 50 seats, but getting to maybe 51, 52, 53. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, now we we have also not talked too much about the gubernatorial race in North Carolina, because uh, at least in the polls I've seen so far, that one does not appear to be close. Uh, is it closer than it was or are the polling numbers about the same as they've been in the race between incumbent Governor Roy Cooper and his challenger, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest? We're actually seeing Governor Cooper increase his lead as the election gets closer. Uh, it had been down to seven or eight points over the summer, uh, but our most recent poll had Governor Cooper ahead by 12 points. And I think that that is because North Carolinians feel like he has handled this virus pretty well. And I especially think when you uh, set up a contrast between how he's handled it and how Trump's handled it, that makes Cooper look even better. Uh, and Forrest, I think, has hung a lot of his campaign sort of on the thought that 
uh, Cooper has not handled coronavirus well and that he would take a much more hands-off approach to dealing with the virus. And the reality is that North Carolinians want a strong approach to dealing with the virus. So I think that the sort of frame between how Cooper has approached COVID and how Forrest would approach COVID has instead of causing Forrest to get closer, actually caused Forrest to get further behind. I think the intrigue at the state level is gonna be the Lieutenant Governor's race. I still think that that race is pretty 50-50. We'll see if Cooper can pull Yvonne Holly over with his coattails, uh, but I don't think we're gonna have a very competitive race for governor. We've got about a minute to, for you to summarize your comments on the presidential race. A number of people joined the program when it's in progress. We spent the entire first segment of the program talking about the presidential race. How about giving us a quick summary in one minute of the things that you pointed out as far as your most recent poll uh, here in North Carolina and across the country? So Biden is up by about 10 points nationally. In the key swing states that will determine the Electoral College, Biden is up by four to six points. And the big thing that makes this different from 2016 when Trump came back and won, even though he was down by similar margins in the polls, is that this time there are almost no undecided voters. So it's going to be hard for Trump to come back because there just aren't very many people open to the possibility of changing their mind. Uh, and that, and in North Carolina, Biden's up by four, one of the biggest leads he's had this year, uh, up a couple points since the debate and since Trump got COVID. So still a good amount of time left in the election, but it's getting harder and harder for Trump to come back. Well, we had uh, we got uh, 10 seconds for this comment. Uh, a lot of folks were expecting uh, the fact that the returns might be late in coming in and it may be so close that we won't know for several days after the election. What you're telling me now seems like the, the suspense might be a lot shorter than that. You've got 10 seconds to answer. The suspense all comes down to Florida. Florida is able to count all of its vote in one night. And if Biden wins Florida, it's over. So that'll be a good one to watch on election night. We may know early if Biden's winning Florida that he'll win the election as a whole. Thanks, Tom. Tom Jensen has been our guest. He's the Director of Public Policy Polling. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or uh, hear the two segments that you might have missed if you're listening to the half-hour version, you can go to CarolinaNewspapers.com. The program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another guest for us next week. So the next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.